I've been told that I need to say hello because last time I didn't do that. We just sort of leapt straight in. So, hi, uh, I'm Mike. And I'm I'm here with Jim. Hello, hello. Uh, and so there um, we are. We have said hello. We have said hello, and we are going to talk about things, many things, and uh, many things relating to cars and motorsport, and probably things that aren't related to it at all. Because as you probably know by now, that is our way. Yes, we do like a tangent, but I think it's uh, it's going to be mainly motorsport this week. Uh, as most of the news floating around has been uh, has been motorsport, lots of movement in Formula One drivers and teams. Uh, something that I don't think many people were expecting um, in the last couple of weeks. Daniel Ricciardo has announced he's leaving Red Bull and he's off to join Renault. So from a, a relatively static period a couple of weeks ago, this this has just blown things wide open. Uh, in addition to that, we've had Alonso, probably not as much of a surprise, announcing that he's going to be stepping away from Formula One, uh, which which I think was always on the cards, really, given the last couple of years with McLaren, Renault, and McLaren Honda. His, uh, I don't think his pace or his uh, his tenacity or his racing spirit had disappeared, but putting all that effort into it and finishing seventh, eighth, ninth, if you're lucky, is is probably not for a double world champion, is it? Mm, no, I, I suspect not. But I, I always think. It's odd when you think about manufacturers that are in Formula One, though, because you've got your McLaren, you've got Ferrari, Renault. And I appreciate Renault have been there for a long time, and and they're over a, a you know a number of years, and they've made some some nice looking cars, to be honest. But you know, you wonder what it really means to, to manufacturers because you, when you're at that sort of level of high performance hyper cars, and you know your audience really. Your, well, your drivers are, are going to be most likely into that kind of car. You wonder how that sort of reflects for Renault, don't you? Because it's, it's a hell of an investment. Well, it's odd, yeah, how different manufacturers use Formula One either as a promotional tool mm. uh, or the other way around. I mean, Ferrari, of course, are at one end of the spectrum, and uh, I think they started building road cars purely so Enzo had enough money to go racing. And that was it. So the, the, the road car side of the business is not secondary, because obviously that's the, the bit that actually makes all the money. Mm. Uh, but the road car business exists purely to allow them to go racing. Whereas, as you say, manufacturers like Renault, do, do they use it the other way around? I mean, Renault, uh, although they didn't seem to get too much credit from Red Bull during their title-winning years, no. uh, Red Bull, um, uh, Renault, sorry, are, are just a phenomenally phenomenally successful manufacturer, uh, either mm. of engines or, or in their own right. Yeah, um, for sure. I think just, just going back in, in recent years, obviously there was the, the Red Bull period of dominance with the Renault engine. Uh, back in the mid-2000s, Alonso won both his world championships with Renault in uh, in 05 and 06. Mm. Um, Mid-90s, Williams-Renault, um, all the way back to when they were a constructor again in their own right before that. You know, they, they've had... A hell of a successful history. Uh, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I would say that they're probably up there and level pegging with race wins and championship wins as Adrian Newey, Ferrari, mm-hmm. Red Bull themselves, McLaren probably. Yeah, um, they've certainly won more recently than McLaren. <laughs> well, there's that. And actually, over the years, there's been some quite impressive F1 inspired specials, I guess, isn't it? When you think about it, so you had the F1 Aspas, if you remember that the people carry with an F1 engine, which is just ridiculous. Well, it was an F1 chassis, wasn't it? They just yeah. took the bodywork off it, bolted an Aspas body onto it, and, and off you go. Pretty much the only time I've ever been interested in people carriers. Perfect family car. Yeah, absolutely. Or a dog. You could. You just think. <laughs> you just imagine the moment you accelerated. Your foot down with your F one powered spas, and the dog just sort of moulds itself into. Yeah, the it would shelf. give the the labradoodle a bit of a shock, wouldn't it? I, th- I think it would make that startled face. You know, you know the sort of startled faces that dogs make. They sort of look at you as if you know, oh god, something something's just happened. I think that I think happen. that that is exactly what would happen. And then you had things like the um, the, the the little Clio Williams. Now a classic, actually. Yeah, I mean, Renault's um, current crop or very recent crop of more track-orientated or the, the mm. R cars, as they call them, are, you know, in in track day circles and, and amongst their, their fans, they're, they're very well-liked mm. and very well-revered. It's just a pity that Renault also makes a, a lot of horrific cars as well. Dreadful. And um, mainly with electrics that don't work and interiors uh, that fall apart. And and actually, there were some really good ones. There's the little... Um, 
uh, Twingo Cup. That was good. R26R, I quite enjoyed driving that. It's the one with the carbon bonnet and the scaffolding in the back. So, I mean, if you want to buy, you know, a hot hatch, because uh, you buy those for their practicality, you know, you buy those because you've got a boot still in space to sit in the back and the rest of it. It has none of those things. Um, so, you, you know, you might as well buy a, a sports car. But actually, phenomenally good fun. Really quick, really quick. And then they made the Vel Satis. Yeah, and yeah, and the Renault Wind. What a, what a success story that was. The Renault, a one point two liter Renault Wind. Oh, in fact, it's supposed to be called a Wind. And the roof sort of flipped backwards. Don't you remember those? No, that one must have passed me by. <laughs> With the wind. Does it doesn't sound like it was missing? Anyway, we were talking about F one. We were, we were. Uh, so yeah, was it? I mean, McLaren in their recent years have had many, many struggles, which they put down to the Honda engine. Looking at the way the Honda engine's going in in the back of the Toro Rosso now, um, maybe the engine wasn't all that bad. It, it certainly wasn't the most reliable or the most powerful. Mm. I, it's again, it's tricky to tell. It's very easy to say that oh well, actually McLaren haven't made a big step forward, so the engine wasn't that bad. But of course, there's there's packaging issues and how the thing integrates. Honda do seem to have a habit of of starting again every couple of years and and seem mm. to take a bit of a step backwards. Um, but they'll, uh, the, the running theory has been, oh, they'll get there eventually, they'll get there eventually. But of course, McLaren's last Drivers' Championship was 10 years ago. Their last Constructors' Championship was 20 years ago. So to, to what extent do you consider McLaren a top team these days? It's mm. a good point. It's a very good point. I mean, certainly to anybody who's been following the sport for less than 10 years, they wouldn't. Uh, if you've been following the sport 20 years, you'd have... A couple of seasons where McLaren were there or thereabouts, and they've they've faded ever since. Uh, a lot like Williams, of course, as well. A big, big name in in Formula One, and again, number of world championships and race wins and things like that. And they're they're scrapping around at the back of the grid, unfortunately. Hmm. So yeah, bit of bit of movement then. Obviously, uh, Alonso's out. Uh, Carlos Sainz has been announced as his replacement. Carlos Sainz, obviously, a, a former uh, Toro Rosso, a Red Bull Junior driver. Had, uh, had been loaned out to Renault for the last year. Um, possibly uh, maybe jumped a little bit too early. I think he'd gone to Renault on loan as he was frustrated with no promotion to Red Bull. Couldn't see Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo going anywhere anytime soon, so decided to, to go on work placement, if you like, to another company. Uh, and in the meantime, one of the top names has left and there was a, a vacancy there, so Red Bull have gone with Pierre Gasly. Mm. Rather, rather than bringing science back to the fold. Goodwood Festival of Speed 2016. So we're in the Red Bull stand talking to Pierre Gasly, who's the uh, Red Bull reserve driver. And I have to say, Red Bull and the Young Driver program is really the place to be at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think they always show that uh, they always give the chance to the young drivers when they deserve to have one. So, uh, yeah, I think it's looking good as we, we saw with Max, uh, with Carlos, with uh, Danielo, Evan Daniel. I think they, they definitely give the chance to the young drivers, which is good. Uh, you're, you're gaining a lot of experience on the simulator and, and getting to know the team and the guys and the engineering and so on, all of those things. It, 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 you build experience really quickly these days. Yeah, of course, we try to, we try to get the best out of it. Uh, they definitely give me the best environment ar around me with a simulator where I can learn many things. I'm spending most of my time uh, back at the factory uh, trying to work for the team, help for the development, but also for me as a driver to build my experience and, uh, and become better and better uh, in terms of feedback, you know, and, and, and try to improve myself. So uh, I think yeah, definitely it's, uh, they try to, to make everything good for us uh, to improve ourselves. I was talking a little while ago to Sterling Moss, uh, and we were talking about 17-year-olds getting into Formula One seats. He didn't even start racing until he was 17. It was a long time before he got to Formula One. The world has moved on a long way. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we are in a new, uh, yeah, new era uh, where, of course, we start go karts much earlier than before. I think now around like six years old already. You're already in in a karting so uh, of course you start to build your experience before and I think we get ready earlier than before as well uh, 
so yeah, definitely it's a it's a different time, and uh, I think we need to to follow it. And uh, for us as a driver, we don't have much time now to to get ready because they pick up the the drivers really young. So uh, we need to to be quick, and uh, we need to be quick very quickly. That's the thing. Thank you very much for your time, Pierre. Enjoy the rest of your weekend on the hill. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. I what you think about that. I mean, he's in his second year of, of F1. So, I mean, is, is experience a factor here, do you think? Or? It's, well, it's an odd one. Going back years and years and years, experience maybe did count for more. Um, but I think if what we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, Alonso... Back in the mid two thousands, broke all sorts of records for youngest winner, youngest pole sitter, youngest champion. Uh, Vettel came along and and took many of those um, accolades off him. Uh, Verstappen has taken many accolades off him since. So drivers, on average, have just been getting younger and younger. Um, maybe that's indicative of the fact that it's it's a slightly less physical and a more technical sport these days. Mm. Um, you know, all the way back to the 60s and 70s, you had drivers in their 40s, late 50s, still racing and, and still being successful, whereas now about mid to late 30s is, is your lot, and, and you can hop in and drive a Formula One car at 16, 17 or 18 without too many problems. Well, just look at when we spoke to George Russell, really confident, really focused. Um, he knew his stuff, but he also knew everything before we got there in terms of well I say everything before we got there he, he had an understanding of how the track works he had driven it on a simulator he'd worked out where he was going to go in where he was going to go out of each corner you know how to set himself up before we got there and he was able to, to almost jump straight into a car into a track and produce some, some pretty quick times again I think it goes back to um, uh, things like what Robert said he got his first go-kart at the age of six was it something like that mm. so Maybe again, back in, you know, if you go back to say, somebody, okay, you got him particularly late, but um, Damon Hill didn't start Formula One until he was early 30s because mm. he didn't start racing until his early 20s. Yep. Now most drivers start karting at the age of five, four, five, six, yeah, seven. Yeah, you can start four. You can start four. four. So, mm. yeah, they've had, you know, by the time they reach their 16th birthday, they could have had 12 years' experience racing, which mm. for plenty of drivers of yesteryear, they started in their early 20s, got into Formula 1 in their early 30s, so actually in a way some of the younger drivers have got more racing experience than the older guys of the past. Think it's too late for us? Uh, probably, yes. Yeah, I think so. C- certainly for Formula 1 at least, unless we unless we came into a lot of money and uh, and bought our own team, as uh, as Lance Stroll's dad has done. Uh, him, him and a few mates got, got bored a couple of weeks ago, so they decided to buy uh, the... Team, what are we going to call them now? It's got to be the team formerly known as Sahara Force India. Lancelot? Brackets be Lancelot. That's a great name. Let's call them that. Lancelot. Lancelot. Um, but there's, no, there's, there's certainly nothing like uh, guaranteeing your seat in Formula One next year if your dad buys a Formula One team. Um, but of course, you know, bad, bad news and a bad situation for Force India over the last couple of weeks going into administration. Um, mm. Bit of a sad state of affairs, really, that the team that finished. Uh, what fourth in the constructors mm, championship well. last year? Uh, all of that prize money. They're they're a famously lean, uh, low budget but very high efficiency hmm. organization. Just not not just on the track in terms of results, but how they run everything. Uh, for them still to be struggling with money despite lots of big name sponsors. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was a bit of a mucky situation with BWT. They described their. Uh, was it BWT said their sponsorship wasn't sponsorship, it was a loan, something like that. Mm, yeah, an, an odd, an murky odd waters deal. going on there. Um, but at least the the main thing is that you know there's there's nothing like a Canadian billionaire and a few of his billionaire mates bailing out the company to know that everybody's going to be safe. Which let's let's not forget it's okay. It's uh, it's sport um, for. 21, 22 weekends of the year. It's a business for 52 weeks of the year. And, and mm-hmm. at each team, no matter how small it is, there's still a couple of hundred people there. And, and the larger teams, eight or 900 people who all rely on it to earn a living, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, etc. So the the fact that the team's been saved is, is good news all round. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing that sort of popped up in conversation recently uh, and sort of looking at um, celebrations surrounding Mike Hawthorne, of course, is that there is a question mark over whether it's become too much of a a financial thing you know where it comes to sponsorship and and brands and i appreciate like everything it's a really expensive sport and we know from speaking to all the drivers that getting the sponsorship is is the hard is the real hard 
part of the game, actually trying to get the, the finance behind you, making sure you can continue. Because all motorsport is expensive, but has it become too focused on the financials now? The money, the cars, the technology in all of them. Yes, there are. The, there's plenty of formula if you are on a budget, and I say a budget in the loosest sense of the word, <laughs> yeah. that, that you can go racing slightly more economically. But in, in the quest for performance... You want things to be lighter and more efficient, and invariably there's there's research and development, and then expensive materials go into it. So, yes, you could make an entire car out of um, blocks of steel, but it would be very heavy. So, mm. to be lighter is better. Um, carbon fibre is very light, so everybody rust is lighter. Rust is light. It is, yes. Slight, slightly less structurally sound, though. Yes. Uh, but to, ma- to make it as light as possible, as much of the car as possible is made out of carbon fibre, and carbon fibre is expensive because it's all handmade. The size of the oven and the, the infrastructure you need to make it is is ridiculous, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But if, if one team doesn't do it, another team will, and that other team will get the advantage and win, so every other team has to follow suit. You know, even the... The back markers, Williams, such as they are uh, this year, the, the amount of money they will spend will be absolutely ridiculous mm. in order just to put two cars on the grid and, and finish pretty much last every weekend. But, mm. but they do it for the love of racing, and, and if you've got the money and the backing to do it, then why not indeed? You keep, keep going. Maybe a rule change, something like that, comes along and, and shakes the grid up a little bit, as we saw um late 90s or mid 2000s or 2009 of course with the brawn um something like that comes along every now and again the new powertrain rules played into mercedes hands very well and and they made the most of it i think Mm. um but just yeah so the obviously fair bits of movement over the last couple of weeks just rattling down the grid uh mercedes as just mentioned have got lewis hamilton and and valtteri bottas confirmed for next year unless of course lewis wins and, and does a rosberg and has had enough and Goes off to be a rap artist or something. A model, maybe. I mean, based on his on his Instagram, probably Twitter. not a hair model. I suggest, but yeah, I think probably probably a good idea. That. It's the the predator braids that get me. They can't be comfy under his helmet, can they? Just those digging in, or I... maybe his helmet's custom made, so it's got little slots for them. You never know. Well, maybe sort of some sort of I don't know foam memory foam liner or something. Yeah. Either way, the last thing you need is is an uncomfortable helmet. Definitely, chafe if nothing else. Uh, down to Ferrari, we've got Sebastian Vettel confirmed. Uh, next year, Kimi or Charles Leclerc? What do we reckon? I haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think anybody, I don't think anybody at Ferrari has got a clue either. No. Uh, obviously, the, the recent death of Sergio Marchioni, uh, mm. He, I think he was leaning towards changing things up and going Charles Leclerc. Uh, his replacement has said he doesn't want to rock the boat too much. So, but actually, given the form Kimmy's in at the moment, he's he's certainly not done anything to suggest he'll be out of a drive next year. So, mm. we'll uh, we shall wait and see on that one. Rebel, of course, now confirmed uh, Verstappen and Gasly. So the the next team on the list is the team name is is TBC. But I think we've got a, a bit of news just coming out today uh, that Force India have been renamed. The FIA have approved Racing Point Force India F1 entry. So Force India's new owners uh, have been granted an official entry uh, with a team free to race at this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, just been bought by Lawrence Stroll and, uh, and a few of his buddies, as we've said. Uh, so the Force India, uh, Racing Point Force India, is a completely new entry. So apparently, as of now, they have no points, which is interesting. Uh, the two drivers, however, Perez and Ocon, get to keep their points in the driver's standings. So obviously this has a this is going to have a bit of a knock-on effect uh, for the team going forward. Their finishing position in this year's championship is, is obviously heavily compromised and the prize money that goes with that. So there's a, a lot of cash that comes out of the pot. The Formula One prize money pot has gone, gone walkies or gone in amongst the other teams. But of course a few teams had, had voted against them being allowed to, to go into administration, come out of it, carry on and get their, their prize money. I think it was Williams, uh, McLaren and one other said, no, you, you can't have the cash, which is a, which is a bit odd. Uh, I know there's there's competition and Man United wouldn't vote Man City to be allowed a few extra players or a few extra points, but at the end of the day, they're, they're all teams in it together. They're all struggling. With, without all the teams, there is no sport. So I don't know. I, I would have thought they'd have stuck together a little bit further but whether there's a backstory there or 
Maybe there's there's just the I don't know if ego's the right word for it really, but maybe it's got to the point now where the sport has become so big that actually it's it's lost its friendliness. What do you think? Yeah, possibly. Or there's it, it, being a small and incestuous paddock. Everybody knows everybody, or has worked with everybody, or has mm. screwed everybody over at some point. So <laughs> it's it's maybe an excuse for for somebody to get their own back. I suspect it is. So, well, anyway, whatever name they're going to be known as next year, um, there's a possible. They've got possible drivers. Uh, everyone from Ocon, Perez, Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll is probable. Let's be honest. Uh, and George Russell, I, I think between whatever Force India are going to be and Williams, I think there'll be there'll be a lot of movement, and I think they'll be picking out the same pool of drivers really. Uh, obviously, mm. Williams running Mercedes engines, um, but struggling for for cash, losing the Stroll money, uh, losing Martini sponsorship at the end of the year, so they're, they're going to be a few quid short. So maybe for them, a, a Mercedes B team strategy might be the best bet you know it's, it's worked quite well for Haas they've got well pretty much all of last year's Ferrari and, and they get a lot of help from them but it seems to be working well for them so for for a bit of future you know are they better off admitting for the time being they can't be a front-running team have a little tie-up with Mercedes be their B team run somebody like George Russell for them I'd like to see him have a drive actually I would. maybe Esteban Ocon of course a Mercedes mm. driver as well so if if there's less desire for cheap engines and things like that uh, whatever the team formerly known as Force India are going to be um, Lancelot Lancelot we'll, we'll call them Lancelot we'll just make life easier um, so will they stick with Sergio Perez uh, as he'd helped the team and, and avoided them going completely bankrupt um, I think they're going to have to maybe stick with him and, and go with Lance Stroll and then we'll see George Russell and Esteban Ocon at Williams I'd like to see that that'd be quite good mm, I think I think it'd be interesting uh, and then down to Renault, Hulkenberg and, and Ricardo confirmed, as we've spoken about. Uh, Toro Rosso. So who have they got? I think they're going to have to hang on to Hartley, aren't they? The Red Bull pool of drivers is it's a bit of an odd one. From a good five or six years ago, they had seemingly 385 different drivers to choose from. Uh, the new super licence point system, that lots of their younger drivers, and I say young, you know, that they are out of nappies, but only just, haven't got enough uh, points to get a super licence to get into Formula 1. So they, despite his, his slightly patchy form and, and hardly ringing endorsement, they might have to stick with Hartley, at least for uh, until halfway through the season when Helmut gets bored and kicks him out and fancies a change. Mm. Um, Lando Norris could end up there, though, of course. He's a McLaren junior driver, but... With McLaren wanting a uh, quite senior member of Toro Rosso's personnel, there could be a bit of a swap there. You know, swap your technical guy for one of our drivers. That could work. So yeah, McLaren, Carlos Sainz, and then alongside him could hold could hold on to Stoffel Van Dorn uh, or Lando Norris could step in. I'd I'd like to see Lando in a in a Formula One car this year. I think certainly seeing him and uh, and Russell scrapping on the same grid and the same bit of tarmac in Formula One cars would be quite spectacular. I think. The thing is, at the moment, the is, is upcoming talent the right word? I suppose, I suppose, I suppose they're probably, maybe they are the right words. The, the potential that's there to have, I mean, even if all the familiar and existing names were out and all the reserve drivers were in, I still think you would have some phenomenal racing. Well, yeah, in the, in the Formula Two grid this year, there's there's lots of big names and, and big talent in there. So mm-hmm. actually, yeah, there's there's lots of them deserving of it. Um, obviously Norris and Russell we talk about the most because they're British but they, they genuinely are two of the biggest talents in yeah, there sure. uh, then down to Alfa Romeo Sauber um, who seem to have, have turned things around quite well might hold on to Charles Leclerc um, Marcus Ericsson I think will probably stay there uh, there was a bit of talk of Kimi possibly ending up there at one point obviously he started his Formula 1 career with Sauber hmm. um, Alfa Romeo Sauber now another Ferrari B team so they, they got two teams in the form of Haas and Alfa Romeo, obviously Alfa Romeo, a sub-brand of Ferrari. Um, so possibly Kimi could could end back there, which would bookend the career slightly, but I'm not, not too sure Kimi would be interested in that. Mm, you do wonder if that's a, a positive move for him, wouldn't you? Be another few quid in the bank for him, I would have thought, wouldn't it? Well, that's, there is that. I mean, I suppose if you're short of a couple of quid, it could be handy. K- Kimi Raikkonen probably isn't, but... Hey, no. he, he still likes racing and still enjoys it. So, again, if somebody's going to give you 10 million quid to go, I'd, I'd take 10 million quid to go and race at Sauber next year. I think I'd consider it. I'd give it a go. Yeah. How hard can it be? 
mean, from one end of, of motorsport to a completely another, really, when we spoke about the big budgets and everything else there, um, you and I uh, headed over to Brands Hatch, was it Dave Westing? This week, anyway, whenever it was. Some sleep would be nice somewhere in between. But um, there were a number of different cars there, and, and we were there in The Fist, which I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about later on. And we met a, a really interesting chap who we spoke to about the C1 Challenge. Now, this is completely the opposite end of the spectrum from an F1 car. Still uh, a, a proper uh, proper series, Clubman series. They had three drivers, a Citroen C1 in basically road trim. And I thought it was rather brilliant. Yeah, it was com- completely road legal, so keep it tax, keep it insured, drive it to the track, race it and drive it home again, which is uh, the way to do it. But yeah, ran on, on control road tyres, uh, control suspension components. Um, Brakes. Hardly anything could be changed. Yeah, controlled brakes uh, at very reasonable cost. Uh, stripped out interior, roll cage, bucket. But everything on the car had to work. From yes. the, the electric windows to the radio to the 12-volt socket. No no wiring loom modifications allowed. No no nothing, no engine modifications. Heated rear windscreen. And they even check the wiring. And if you modify the dash, you're instantly disqualified. Yes, that's it. it was, but it's a good way, of, again, of, of keeping the cost down. If, yeah. if there's a loophole or a dodge or anything like that, Every team will exploit it. I've, I've spanned in race series before, and you take out the entire wiring loom of the car, you cut out everything you don't need, you mm. rewire other bits in and put it all back in to save maybe two kilos on the car. Because mm. if you can save weight, you can then, even if you end up underweight, you use it as ballast and you can put that lower down. It gives a much better handling car. And okay, it takes a couple of three days to do it, or you need an auto electrician at a cost of a good many hundreds of pounds and pay them to do it. So if one person does it, everybody ends up doing it. So it's, it's a good way of stopping things like that. Mm. I mean, 70-odd brake horsepower worth of Citroen C1, tiny, skinny little wheels. They were like space savers, weren't they? They, they did look like space savers. But a brilliant series. And he was saying that there was a lot of professional drivers were there because he was saying that Andy Prue was there. Yeah, they've had some, some touring car chaps give it a go. Well, it keeps their, their racing... Instinct sharp. It's it's quite a good cheap way of of training, in effect, really, isn't it? It's, it's practice for them, mm. uh, and of course, with with such little power, technique becomes all the more important. You know, every mile an hour you can carry into and out of the corner, you carry all the way down the straight, and and when the cars are that close together, the limit of the car is very easy to get to. Mm. Uh, but of course, getting that very last point zero 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 one of a percent mm. is the very tricky bit, and the the difference I think between coming first and coming last, there, there won't be a lot in it, I wouldn't have thought. Well, he was saying it's sort of 450 quid for a weekend racing. So it, it was a reasonable cost. The cars you can buy, you know, for either a few hundred or a few thousand, because it's, the, the, you know, the, the basic Citroen C1s. It sort of, sort of carries on from the 2CV challenge, if you've seen that before. Yeah, with with slightly more, like, well, about 60 more brake horsepower. I think the old CVs never <laughs> had a lot of grunt, did they? No, they weren't really known for, for being sprightly, were they, in the same sort of way? You know, in terms of the the ride and everything, that's fantastic, I'm sure, but but not not my uh, not my bag, so it doesn't tickle my pickle. Um, but yeah, you know, you share the car between a few drivers, and and actually to have that professional series and have pro drivers in, and as you say, you know, having to to know what you're doing, and they always say when you first pass your test, you learn more by driving a lower powered car actually, because you can't just stick it in a high gear and and rely on the car to pull you through. To get the most out of it, you have to get the gearing right you have to get the attack right you're talking about the right braking points uh, and actually i think it um i don't know maybe it keeps you humble but it certainly keeps you keeps you sharp yeah you have to pay attention and he was out there hassling some, some seriously quick stuff not on the straights let's be honest here because everyone's no, definitely on the straights our fiesta was about the same thing obviously the those who listened to our previous podcast you'll have heard us chatting about um building the car was a building as many taking it apart and adding stickers, but lots of for, stickers for uh, for what we put into it. I I had an absolutely superb afternoon and evening out, and and I thought the car did really rather well for for what it is. Yes, yeah, and and actually, let's move on to that. So so the fist now, fist is is short for Fiesta ST, and I was thinking, we we yeah, fist. I think you you said to me was was a good name for it, and I completely agree. And I was thinking, if someone gets overtaken, what should we call that? Being fisted. I think fisted. Yeah, that's it. So if you've been overtaken, you've been fisted. So yeah, so we, we went out and uh, we decided to go full baptism by fire. Uh, and we, we drove the car to Brands Hatch. 
Um, we spent an evening... Well, fun- you drove it there. You made me drive it back, though. Yes, I did. Especially be- after what I'd done. Be- well, that's the reason why. Because oh, I know exactly okay. what you Fair would enough. do to it. Yeah, it was just a, a superb afternoon out. So for, for everyone listening, if if you've never been to a track day before, uh, get along to one. They're, they're just brilliant fun. It, yes. it didn't cost us a fortune, did it? I mean, it was 150 quid for yeah. the entry for both of us together. I think yep. it's about 120 if you go and do it on your own. Yeah. Add another driver for 30 quid so you can split the cost. Um, the car, as we'd spoken about previously, only owes us a couple of hundred quid. Uh, yes. We used a tank of fuel all the way there, all evening, and all the way back again, so that wasn't too expensive. And for really, for, for a couple of hundred quid expenses for the evening, it's it's one of the best ways to spend an evening. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, we need a set of rear tyres. Actually, you're the reason we need a set of rear tyres. We don't need a set of rear tyres at all. There's plenty of tread left on most of the tyres. It's just the inside where there's a bit of a step. Okay, so well, you know when you watch motorsport and you see a, a tyre come back, you know, you see the cars rolling. Say, if Formula One, for example, they pick up the marbles, don't they, so they weigh enough when they come back. Normally the marbles are on the tyres. Ours are stuck on there, but sideways. Yes, but that's that's what happens when you come back in. That's because I got them warm. What you, you you came back in warm and sideways? Uh, yes, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yes. This this is our, our unique setup. You see on our Fiesta, which has exceptionally high uh, rear tyre pressures. So uh, basically, every corner is just a drifting incident. Well, no, it isn't. It's it's beautifully balanced because the worst thing that you can have on a car like that is is understeer. Mm-hmm. Especially on if you're exploring your way around the track, learning the limits of the track, etc. A little bit of oversteer is much better because at least you can the back end. You let do what it wants to do. Just keep the front end pointing where you want to go, and you're fine. It's far more fun. Well, the long story short is that our, our two hundred pounds odd worth of fist we managed to not kill, um, which is incredible, frankly. Um, no, d- d- neither of us had had one off track excursion all evening, nope. did we? There, there were a couple of red flags. A couple of cars ended up backwards in the gravel. I thought I got black flagged. Turned out it was the caterer in front of me. Yeah, it was a chap in front of you, so that was all right. So you got out again. He did. Yes, you lapped an M three. Uh, yes, I did actually. I, I think I lapped the same. M3 three twice in two different sessions to be fair because he was just walking away from me on the straights but I, I think it was probably to do with the fact it was his daily driver his road car possibly his pride and joy yes because uh, I, I was certainly not treating the fiesta with with any pride but lots of joy yeah i mean certainly you had two approaches uh, first of which was maximum attack uh, and second of which was maximum attack yes um i think you'd you definitely got in strong and keen and presumably forgotten that we might have to drive it back home afterwards. Uh, well, no, I thought you were driving it back home. That, that was the point. That's the reason why. That yes. explains it. We did, however, cook the power steering fluid. Yes, well, that always happens at Brands, actually, because the, uh, uh, the compression and the grip that you get coming through and down the bottom of Paddock Hill Bend in, in pretty much every race series I've, I've ever run there, the power steering takes a takes its toll. Mm. Uh, if you're going to lose a pow- the power steering during a race, it's a brand's hatch. But the, the feeling of coming down Paddock Hill Bend and the compression and the grip yes. that you get off it, it's, it's wonderful. It's, but again, certainly a baptism of fire. If, if it's your first track day and it's brand's hatch, you're straight out of the pits, straight into Paddock Hill Bend. Yes. Um, but so it, it focuses your attention, you get on with it. But it was a, whether you want to go full attack or, or just turn up and have a good evening, there, there was space and room and, and all sorts of different drivers and cars mm. and abilities there as we said something as as low powered but quite pacey through the corners as as the citronars which was kind of in the middle and some some real track prepared animals there there was some seriously quick bits of kit there. sls flying around uh yeah there was that there's an m4 with Lots of carbon aero all the way around it. An M3 GT, looked like a GT2 type car to me. So some, some yes. seriously quick bits of kit. And a lot of people using it just for testing. So the Clio Cup boys were there. Yeah, lots of Clios there. A couple yep. of Clio road cars or stripped out track cars. Peugeot yep. 106, Caterhams, an original Mini, all, all sorts. That, Another uh, Focus ST. Well, the mini, that Mini, the Mini 7 Mini, was absolutely flying. Classic yeah, Mini. Yeah, it, it was pushing hard, wasn't it? But, yeah. no, so we, we turned up, there was a, a safety briefing. Um, everyone was talked through the the rules and how and when to overtake, etc. And and people ignored no, them. No racing being one of the rules, but there, there was definitely a bit of racing here and there. Well, you know, uh, I mean, for legal reasons, we'll point out there was no racing of any none whatsoever. Nor, none. nor was there any lap timing going on. None, either. none of at course. all. No, no. I mean, uh, as, if I was going to guess, and I, I just throw guess, guess, I'd say you roughly got down to about a seventy-three second lap. Yeah, so that's, that's not too bad. Given that I yeah. think some of the 
the uh, the proper Fiesta Championships are run around in about a 56, 57, 58 second lap. So on, on standard, slightly knackered road tyres, just lowered and, and with road brakes. I was quite impressed with that. Mm, yeah, and actually, I was really surprised the brakes, I say held up, you got the brakes to 300 degrees. Yeah, but they held up, they didn't fade, so they, they were fine. Yes. And due to some slightly sticky rear calibers after one run, the rear brakes were hotter than the front. But yes, they were. It, it just meant they had bite straight away. But Yeah. No, it was, it was a lovely feeling, so you, you pop out of the pits and you've got to pay attention there's there's yes. lots going on you've got to look in your mirrors a lot uh it's very easy to sort of get into the rhythm and and forget and it's yes. also very easy to look in the rearview mirror and you've got the entire pit straight with mm. nothing behind you one corner later you've got something two inches off your bumper but yep. as long as you've got your wits about you and, and you just mirror check coming out of every corner um indicate pull over to the right they'll get past you if if you want to take a couple of corners and take your line you hold your line you know Every everybody there seemed to have the attitude of everyone's got a right to be here. We've got all evening. It's an open pit lane. I can pull into the pits and go again, or I'll get past you eventually, or whatever. So there was no no bad manners. I didn't think from anyone. No, I think it's pretty pretty sensible, really, wasn't it? All round. And actually, I, I guess if you if you really are into your cars, you you can't drive the sort of speeds on the road you can do on track now. I mean, we were just over a ton, I suppose, going down on. It's only because the engine's slightly down on power and it, it didn't like accelerating uphill, did it? You put it into fifth on the run yeah. up to Druids and it slowed down a bit, so I just yeah. left it in fourth. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, to be honest, Brands, you could do mostly third and fourth, I think, really. Yeah, th- third and fourth seem to, to work mm. best for the corners. But, but You know, coming out of Clark at, at 90, 95 miles an hour, you know, you're, you're not obviously going to be doing that on the road, of course. Um, so it gives you the opportunity to, to get out there and, and push it a bit. And what is interesting, I think, is how you realise that regardless of how comfortable you feel at speed on the road it's kind of like when you first pass your test going on the track certainly certainly to begin you know constantly thinking oh god what gear should i be in where do i need to be for that corner do i need to break here do i need to break harder is there someone coming up behind me have i checked my mirrors and everything else um there, there's a lot to do you find yourself busy yeah it's, yeah it's a bit of a, a change of pace but it, it highlights certain differences like how how the tires grip up more when mm. When they come up to temperature, even just just normal road car tyres, you know the the difference between the end of a run and the beginning of the next run, once the tyres had, had dropped off, um, was was remarkable for sure. Just how they they took a, a couple of quick corners to come in, but again, getting it, it it makes you more confident overall, gives you a better feeling for what the car's doing. It, yep. it certainly helps on the road as well, if nothing else. It, at least you know you've got that track day as a. Uh, and a, a way of driving fast and and getting it out of your system. So actually, on the drive back, I, despite driving the race car, I felt no no urge to push on. Just sat at the speed limit. We did sixty five most of the way. Yeah, sixty five, seventy, and yeah. and that was it. Because we, you know, we'd had our fun out of it. We'd done what we wanted to do, and yeah. again, the and you'd ruin it by that point. Well, no, I hadn't ruined it. It's fun. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it at all. It'll go again. It, the, the power steering pump is louder now than the supercharger is on the mini. Yes. We probably could we could we lose the power steering? We no, can do. Not. We can do if you want to. We'll lose a bit of weight. Be a better workout, wouldn't it? You're not losing the air conditioning though. Thank God for that. No, no, that that still works, and that, that was definitely useful. Race- it was it was a warm evening. It, it got up to nearly thirty degrees, which I was surprised about. I mean, yeah, it, it's still at, at seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah, and if you're in race overalls as we were, that is yeah, that that is warm. But no, a, a cracking evening and and getting a feel for what the car's like at, at high speed. And again, I'm, I'm sure and for legal reasons we haven't, or, or maybe on the Autobahn in Germany, we've all sat at, at 100 miles an hour-ish on the road, but probably never done too much fast or hard cornering at oh, no. you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. But a couple of corners at, at Brands Hatch let you do just that, as you, you know, yeah. coming out of clearways at 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. Sure. Going in, I think the Paddock Hill Apex speed was, was about... 80 odd miles an hour maybe it was for you uh, because basically this is how it works so if you've done one of these before you realize i have boards up that say brake and at that point you're supposed to apply about 80 percent of your brakes no that was a guide okay that was a guide that, that was a recommended safety right bit. so you took the guide it's, it's just... like the signs on a on a motorway slip road corner that say you know maximum speed 40 is no that's no yeah okay but don't pay attention to so it. you have uh, there's a 300-yard, 200-yard, and 100-yard marker. Two and a half, um, there is a sign that says BREAK in big capital letters. So I took some photos 
Um, just as Jim was going into that corner, three, yeah, no breaking, two and a, no, two and a half, no breaking, two, no breaking, one, started thinking about breaking, then braked. Yeah. Uh, and then, as you may or may not see, there are some um, some slightly sideways, slippy moments. Um, was it, yeah, there was one one big moment in particular. Uh, moment. Into, it, was, it was a moment. It was a moment. Uh, coming into Paddock Hill Bend, yes. uh, just past a... Uh, Mazda, a little track prepared uh, MX-5. I got past him, but it was it was only about the the second lap, so the rear tyres weren't quite up to temperature yet. So I know turned in there was a there, there was a lot of oversteer and a lot of tyre squeal. But and, it was spectacular and a relative amount of poo. No, no poo. I, lo- I looked remarkably calm on on the on on the uh, the onboard the inboard camera. On well, board camera. that's because in the inboard camera, what you can see is your helmet. You can't see your face. Exactly. But yes, anyway. So what we get we're taking from this is um, if you're interested in your cars, and particularly if you've got a car that you aren't too precious about the paint about, because actually that can be an issue. Yes, I mean it was definitely the the M the M three that I did manage to lap. I don't know if we mentioned that, but I'll just mention it again. You might have mentioned that. Uh, well, no, you mentioned it first. I'm just just reinforcing the message there. Okay. So anyway, the, the M3 that, that I lapped. He really lapped an M3, you know. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, obviously, way, he was way quicker on the straights, and actually a couple of times he indicated right as if to say I could go past him and then proceed to, to walk away from me at, at, at 20, 30, 40 mile an hour difference on the straights. Yes. Uh, but as I say, I think it was his possibly his pride and joy, his daily road car. He was staying well clear of the curbs and bits and pieces like that whereas we were no the the curbs were getting fully attacked because that's the quickest way around especially around druids if you could hook the inside wheel onto the the curb on the exit and use it all on the way out as well it was it just held the car around spectacularly and it sounded good as well yeah people taking quite a wide line through druids actually i was expecting people to stick more to the right Sort of clip the apex and move out to the left. But people were sort of going left and then staying left. Yeah, I found I found sort of veeing off the corner work quite well. So you mm. sort of dive in, but aim for the apex, full on the brakes, and then as soon as you get to the apex, just gas it up and then use the all the rumble strips and the runoff on the outside. Yes. But, yeah, that seems that, that again through, to be through quick. Graham Hill, large amounts of curb and use all the curb and, and a bit of the grass creek on the way out. Um, and then into the the next one is that Surtees again, all the curb on the left, brush the curb on the right. Mm. That's yeah. the way to do it. Very good fun. But try not to touch the kerb on Paddock Hill, because that's quite a big kerb, so you don't want to take too much of that at 90 miles an hour. Mm, yes, I think we both of us decided to go remarkably sideways at, at, at Paddock Hill at one point or another. So we both enjoyed it, that's the main thing. Oh yes, yes. So, yeah, and the, the one to take away from that is get yourself on a track day, they're brilliant fun. Yes, and a shout out as well to Steve and Phil, who came along just as supporters really, and watched us going round. Yeah, that was nice actually having our, our own fan club, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Phil was there with his his tire pressure monitor and, and heat gun, so we could see what we'd done to everything, or, or what I'd done to everything more than anything else. But yeah. no, it was just a, a cracking evening and, and a nice friendly atmosphere. You know, less less competition, everybody's there more for fun. So you just you had to wander around, had a chat with anyone. You're just there chatting, looking at each other's cars, enjoying each other's company. It was a, a cracking way to spend an evening. <laughs> Event news. Well, now this is one that requires above average or dexterity. We've got the Total Elf HDX Grand Prix of Farnham, which is a lot of words, but what it means is this. That was very well said, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I I had heard you were a cunning linguist. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, So what it means is this. Uh, Mike Hawthorne, who is an interesting chap, stuff of legend, strong bow ties. Very strong bow tie, Formula One world champion. Yes, and a chap who made his motoring debut back in the 50s uh, in a 1100cc Riley, actually, at the Brighton Speed Trials. So we've got an event coming up on the 14th of October, I believe, haven't we, which is uh, celebrating 60 years since Mike Hawthorne won the Formula One World Championship. Yes, and we caught up with uh, Michael Ballard, who's the organiser of the event, just to find out a bit more. group of people who some of whom knew him in the day I didn't I'm not that old fortunately I worked in Farnham for some years in the motor trade and I was born and brought up in Farnborough which is just down the road Um, so it's all on my doorstep various friends of mine got me involved many years ago and starting reading books and reading literature and reading the magazines and occasionally things would pop up Uh, Doug Nye is one of the great people to write things about local people again he's local so 
one just to sort of gets led down a path. And Mike Hawthorne lived in Farnham for a number of years. He lived in Farnham for a number of years. He died just outside Farnham on the way to Guildford. Uh, he's buried in Farnham and his business was in Farnham. Uh, and his father's business before him. Sadly, his father died before he did. Um, but yeah, the business was all in Farnham and it was opposite where I used to work. Um, but no, just an interest. And is it his lifestyle, his success, his business life as well as uh, the racing life? It has been said that his lifestyle and my lifestyle have been similar, but I would deny that, of course. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's just an interest and enthusiasm for classic motorsport, vintage motorsport. And he was shall we say, an interesting character who led a short but full life. A little bit more interesting, perhaps, than uh, some of the current Formula One drivers. I think today it's more about money. I mean, obviously, the current guys have got tremendous talent, but it's about money and sponsorship and everything else. So the, the event on 14th of October, what exactly does that entail? Well, it came about because in 2009, myself and a few friends organised a memorial service then to commemorate the fact that Mike had died 50 years previously in the tragic accident on the Hogsback. My friends kept encouraging me to try and do something again. The lead organiser, my joint lead organiser then, Paul Roach, now lives up in Scotland and although he's very interested and is taking part, he's not local enough to do anything about it this time. So I thought about it for a couple of years. They wanted me to do something to commemorate the 55th anniversary. I managed to avoid that. And then, of course, the 60th anniversary coming up in January 2019. I thought long and hard and decided, actually, I didn't want to do that. Why not celebrate his world championship in October 58, 60th anniversary of that. We've invited lots of people who have cars of a type that Mike drove or raced or raced against or were of a type that he sold through TT Garage and... There will be, I think, probably as many as 120 cars taking part in various parades around the town. Um, we've got a road closure order for a bigger circuit than we had in 2009. Less cars will go out at a time in batches so we can keep the traffic moving. And I think it'll be a spectacle. There'll be some incredible vehicles there. And this is an event that's open to anyone who's even remotely interested in such things? Anyone who's remotely interested, everyone's welcome to come along and spectate. Um, anyone who's got a car or owns a car or has the use of a car that is appropriate, i.e. pre-59 obviously, and as I've previously said, of a type that Mike drove, raced or sold, um, is welcome to apply to take part. The website shows how to get a hold of application forms. Um, they are kind of, The applications are coming in thick and fast and we're getting some extremely interesting cars coming out of the woodwork that haven't been seen for many years. Now you mentioned earlier on that in 2009 the uh, main focus was perhaps the uh, the church and the church service. Is a similar thing happening this time? There will be a church service again, a service of celebration in St Andrews which is in the middle of Farnham. The Reverend there is very pleased to uh, go along with things that we, we suggest and a service has been written specially and our event will kick off at one o'clock in the church on the 14th of October uh, with a 40-minute service of celebration of Mike's life and his achievements before we go out for the parades and various other activities going on during the rest of the day. And if you are a classic car enthusiast, can you get up close and personal with any of these cars? The cars will be running around the figure of eight of the one-way system in the middle of the town. So yes, that you can get close and personal then. And also, hopefully, later in the day, we'll be able to open the paddocks up where we're keeping all the cars for the public to come in and have a good look round. So, events held in, in Farnham, and I've always been quite tempted to do uh, the pub crawl, the Mike Hawthorne pub crawl. What do you reckon? Well, I think he'd like to, a drink or two, because that was back in the day when a driver could do that or would have a, a beer straight after the race or possibly even during the race if he felt so inclined. Yeah, well, why not indeed? What I think is particularly exciting about this is there's going to be about 120 classic cars going through Farnham. To see cars like that at, at a racetrack is one thing, but actually to see them on public roads would be quite spectacular, I would have thought, and obviously a lot closer than than people have maybe ever got to them, or certainly even back in the day. I know spectators used to stand close, etc., but, mm. but not that close. Mm. And I think it's not even just seeing them, it's hearing them, to be honest with you, and smelling them, actually. And I don't mean in a creepy way, I mean the actual sort of smell you get from a classic car that you don't get from anything else. 
And it's it's the same when you see Formula One, or certainly was in back in the day, the noise and the feeling you get the and I don't mean like emotional feeling, but I mean the actual resonance of the sound hitting you. Yeah, because I think back in the day it was it was just pure performance and, and there yeah. were no concerns over the environment or, or sound deadening or, or anything like that. It's certainly different to the modern yeah. Formula One engines, which sound beautiful, but mm. they are quiet. Yeah, I mean, except I guess with the classic ones, if you're at uh, Brooklyn's, which is where that sort of fan style exhaust comes from, the Brooklyn's exhaust. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, they're going to be a selection of, of really great cars. Um, cars that you're not going to see every day, cars that are from people's private uh, and, and classic car collections, but actually being used. And I think that's really nice because actually I think when you see a car in a museum, it's great to see that it's there and that you can go and see it. But in some ways, it's a little bit sad that you're not seeing it driven. And obviously, again, there'll be quite a variety of cars. Mike Hawthorne, as, as lots of drivers did back in the day, had quite a varied racing career, but often, you know, drove Formula One one weekend, Formula Two another weekend, Le Mans the following weekend. I mean, so, you know, Fernando Alonso seems to be back into that mould and, and making it acceptable for a Formula One driver to go and race, well, whatever he feels like it, because he's Fernando Alonso and McLaren have to let him, otherwise he'll leave. Oh no, he has left. But there we go. Well, unless you're in Ferrari, of course, in which case it's not that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so plenty of the bigger teams obviously got their drivers locked in and, and contracted so that they don't hurt themselves doing other things. But back in the day, the a professional driver, he, he almost raced from weekend to weekend. And if somebody offered him the equivalent of a couple of hundred quid to turn up and drive a car, then, then they went and did it just because they loved it to keep themselves sharp, to earn a few quid. Um and, and generally have fun with it. So, yeah, he was, he was doing everything from... I mean, it was a short career, really, wasn't it? It started in, in 1950, short. as you said. Uh, I think he retired... Uh, well, he he was the original Rosberg, wasn't he? Won the championship and then retired. Mm. Um, but, of course, died in a road accident a couple of months later, so... Mm. If you want to know a bit more about the event, and you really should, and if you're local, and even if you're not, you should still come down and just see what's going on. The web address is, and you might want a pen and paper for this one, www.mikehawthornegrandprixoffarnham.co.uk. So, then you have to start it with http colon forward slash forward slash. Yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dot Mike Hawthorne, Grand Prix of Farnham.co.uk. One of my, my favourite things about classic race cars of that period is the fact they've got number plates. Which means that they have done what we have done, when you think about it. They have gone out, raced, possibly driven it back home. I guess it's a bit like the Clubman-type cars of the year. If you think about the old Escorts, the you know, the Mark One Escorts that were flying around with number plates on and then being driven back home again. Um, you think about the Alaman cars, for example. Yeah, I think it just shows um, sort of a, the racing spirit and pitching and... and roll your sleeves up and, and get it done. Drive your race car to the track, drive it there on the wets and, you know, to the st- pub. stick your slicks in the back of it in your toolbox and, and get on with it. But yeah. it adds a, a certain level of commitment to things as well, if you know you need to drive it home as well. But actually, in, in the heat of battle, I don't think it makes too much difference. Not I think to you anyway. No, certainly not. You get stuck in and, and deal with what happens when it happens. Mm. And I think that is probably it from us, to be honest. Yes, thank you very much for listening. On on that note, yes, get stuck in, preserve your car and your tyres, Jim. Uh, we had spare tyres, it was fine. And to be fair, we did make it home. So, on that beautiful segue, we're going to let you make it home now, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.